Rugby World Cup 2015 podcast on The Guardian, sponsored by Heineken. Proud to open Rugby World Cup 2015. Hello and welcome to the final episode of The Guardian's Rugby World Cup 2015 podcast. I'm Sandy War, and today we'll be looking back on the magnificent All Blacks and their victory over Australia in the final, which saw them retain the title and become the first country to win the Webb Ellis Trophy for a third time. We'll also be discussing the bronze medal match and our best bits from the tournament as a whole. Joining me today, as always, is comedian and broadcaster Andy Zaltzman. From The Guardian, we have Owen Gibson and Dan Lucas. And we're joined again by a happy Kiwi, Alexander Bisley, sports writer and broadcaster with Radio New Zealand. Hello to you all. Uh, After 271 tries, 194 conversions, eight drop goals, 2,439 points scored, the 2015 Rugby World Cup is all over. Andy, we think you saw, what, 80% of those points being scored (laughs) on your trips around the country. Uh, What we want to know is, did you manage to beg borrow, blag, steal a final ticket? Uh, I bought. I I didn't, yeah, (laughs) using the ticket website, which, yes, whose gifts kept giving if you happened to be looking at it at the right time and the right place. You really so, had that sus, didn't you? Just, just I had sitting it there going Also, on. I have a wife who's a big rugby fan, so, so can therefore justify a frankly stupid amount of expenditure on overpriced <laughs> tickets. But, you know, if, if, if overpriced tickets can prove value for money, I think this tournament has, has been value for money. Uh, Owen, were you there? I was there, yes. Of yes, course you were. Yeah. Um, we'll come to the match in, in a minute, but, but was the atmosphere as fantastic as it looked? It was brilliant. I mean, uh, it felt obviously like a real major international sporting event, but I thought, um, A, there was lots and lots of Kiwis and uh, Australian fans there, which I think really helped make the atmosphere. Um, and, and also, the, the staging was just fantastic. I mean, the, the red arrows, the, kind of, the way they did it, it wasn't over the top, and yet it did just have that feel of a, a major event. In many ways, it was more, as ever with these tournaments, sometimes it's slightly more enjoyable once England go out. You know, the, um, I couldn't help... Uh, one of the things that struck me about Twickenham during this tournament, it hasn't felt like Twickenham during the Six Nations, which can um, sometimes feel like a crowd that's not necessarily there for the rugby uh, and is there um, to pour as many pints down their neck as they can. Um, it felt like a, a, there was well. a lot of that as well. Put a lot of pouring it, pints down the seat. Oh, you probably don't get this in the press box. <laughs> so much, every no. single game, there is a cascade of beer. I don't know what it is about rugby fans being unable to buy beer and not spill it, but that has been one of the features of the tournament. For yeah, me. No, I had litres of beer actually came down onto my clothing and even laptop in one game. <laughs> well, that's a souvenir you can't price. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's an experience that you're going to take back to New Zealand and, and dine out on, isn't it? Yeah, oh, look, it's, it's been a wonderful tournament. I don't think anyone could say otherwise. And after a flat bronze game, just a, a, su- a superb game to finish off. And how different from four years ago as well, you know, that sort of, you know, tight, tension-racked final of 2011. You know, the final very much lived up to the uh, occasion, didn't it, which was uh, what we all wanted to see. Uh, I think it was the best final we've, we've had in Rugby World Cups, wasn't it? It was the first one that where kind of attacking open play has uh, really come to the fore and been been a prominent feature i mean it's been very they've been very nervy very tense kick dominated yeah. finals before and this time we got the final that the rugby world cup's been well, begging for dan you were the the minute by minute blogger yes how, i've been changed have you, have uh, finally, after all of that uh, my hands are quite sore they've finally unchanged me from the uh from the desk i think i did 24 minute by minutes during the tournament <laughs> uh and really i want more um it's kind of left me wanting <laughs> more i'm kind of sad it's over i don't know how i'm gonna i can't remember how i lived my life seven weeks ago but i think that's a really really good indicator of how enjoyable this tournament's been the fact that it's left us wanting more 
the fact that England went out before the pool stages were over and that didn't slow the tournament. I mean, I think it was, as Owen said, it's more enjoyable without their turgid brand of rugby. Um, no, I think it's been a, a resounding success. And one of the ironies was, I mean, I was at this, they do this sort of um, slightly mournful wrap-up press conference the morning after the final while they're sort of taking down all the bunting and all the rest of it. But one of the things that World Rugby and others were saying was actually, in many ways, despite all the talk about would it harm the legacy and would it would it hurt the tournament, the fact that England went out, in many ways the... Um, the brand of rugby that was played and the fact that you know you had probably the best rugby team of all time um you know playing in the final and confirming their position as the best rugby team of all time in many ways kind of you know get lifted the legacy and, and more people probably got into it as a result yeah. it was it was the final we'd really been hoping for wasn't it we, we were talking in the previous podcast that it might have been a frustrating tense one for the purists but this was a thrilling final new zealand retaining the world cup beating australia let's get the stats right 34 17 at Twickenham they dominated the first half and it was to the Wallabies credit really that they were only 6-3 down after half an hour shortly after half time that gap was up to 21-3 with the Aussies looking beaten but after a yellow card for Ben Smith and a couple of Australian tries that deficit down to just four points a superb drop goal from Dan Carter stopped the comeback though before Bowden Barrett try wrapped things up for the All Blacks hugely impressive then and the way um, let's Start with the Kiwi. The way New Zealand started was very impressive. It, it was from the beginning. You know, it's been so key to the All Blacks, the Hucker, and um, Andy Ball. You know, went to New Zealand and wrote uh, very well about that and other things as to why this is such a great team. Uh, but you know, from the beginning with Kapa Opango, you saw how the All Blacks give the game everything. You know, they're going out there to leave this legacy, to make the nation proud, to build to this mighty tradition that dates back well over a hundred years now. Building on the you know the the, the likes of Colin Meads and all, all, all those all those people who have gone before. And you know, there's that line in Kapa Opango. Now it's time for Aotearoa to thunder, and that's what we saw. It was a tsunami of total rugby attack. Defense, and you know across I mean it's really hard to single out individual players because 1 to 15 and then with with the bench as well you just have 23 players who are all on top of their game Who decides Um, which hucker they do because this was the one that I've heard it called the throat cut hucker that's the, that's the one they did this time round. But it's, they don't always do that one, do they? No, so they, this is sort of the new one they've had. Um, it came in under Graham Henry. And so it's sort of a hucker that is specifically about this team. So they tend to do this one for sort of the biggest games, but both are, are very special to the team. Um, but yes, so so many players really t- to praise. But um, I think one good example, you know, Conrad Smith, I thought had his best half of the tournament, an absolute blinder, hit Michael Hooper straight into next week, you know, stole the ball from Drew Mitchell. Then him and Jerome Kaino threw Kurandrani, um, Australia's best back, to the ground like a rag doll. And then we saw that classic Conrad Smith, you know, vi- vi- vision, intelligence, spatial awareness, the way he, he, he set up that. It was a great team try but he started it that the, the wonderful Nehe Milner Scudder scored um, and yeah you know after after such a great half he was off at half time and he wasn't injured but it was because there's Sonny Bill Williams on the bench who came in yeah. and made an immediate impact with a sublime double offload and then the, the extraordinary Ma'anonu who I actually think has had a better season than Julian Savia and, and, and World Cup that was just yeah a, a sublime try wasn't it I mean the fact yeah the fact you can afford to take off probably your best player of the first half <laughs> at half time yeah it tells you a lot but I thought the other interesting thing was that for all the sort of territorial dominance 
dominance and thought they were playing some fantastic rugby until that first try went over. You know, it was still the score was still pretty tight. They weren't putting the points on the board in the way that the All Blacks normally do, and that was why you still just had a, a nagging feeling that this might this might turn out differently. And the thing that made it for me was the fact that Australia got back into the match. They sort of and said that said quite a lot about this Australia team as well, and that, that's partly what made the final. I think if if the All Blacks had run away with it, we would be uh, feeling slightly differently about it. But it was a genuinely great contest that was still in the balance probably until the last 10 minutes. I thought in the first half especially both teams were magnificent in defence. I thought uh, where New Zealand maybe edged it was they had greater game intelligence I guess you'd call it. Uh, Look at the way uh, Carter took that drop goal. No one else in the world would have had the time and the space to get off a snap drop goal from 43 metres. It just shows uh, the way he can read the game. And in any sport as well, it was one of those moments where you just, you know, you could sense, I don't know, monitoring Twitter and that sort of thing, people who aren't, you know, uh, diehard rugby fans, you see in that one moment, kind of, that's a genuine piece of sporting genius, you know. You said there was only eight drop goals in the whole tournament, I think you said in the stats, and Carter got a crucial one in both the semi and the final, and he'd only had, what, seven or eight in his entire... 110 test career before that. We have been talking about whether the conditions might come into effect because we'd seen that torrential rain the weekend before, but it was it was just a beautiful day as well, wasn't it? Was it was a disaster for the tournament from an English perspective. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Rain and bleakness and cold. Uh, it was, yeah, it was just, it was fantastic. And uh, I think we've got to tip our hat to Ben Smith for stepping up to the plate for the neutral and making it, uh, yeah. making it more exciting by so. getting... Yellow card. I don't know. Has he ever had a yellow card? It doesn't seem like a. It was the first one yellow in the final, wasn't it? Candidate. Um, and obviously they're going to sit just below the press box. I was just looking at him, thinking, <laughs> yeah. I wonder what he's thinking now yeah. as the uh, score got tighter. It was thirty-four-three while it was fifteen aside. But um, yeah, I thought New Zealand made a. Few, you know, uh, any team makes errors, but there were a couple of odd decisions. Another sort of fairly low-grade grubber kick through that we saw a lot of against South Africa, and that I tap they penalty did that. Those in, though, yeah, but, but and so I think that. You know they could have been further ahead, but it was uh, yeah it was a majestic game. Four out of the five tries were fantastic, uh, and you know Nonu's is you know probably one of the greatest tries ever scored given the, the circumstances. Australia and, uh, were making line-out errors early on, which they tightened up as the match progressed, didn't they? But I that th- looked sorry. Go on. Sorry, I think a lot of that is down to uh, the way uh, Whitelock and uh, Retallick played. I thought they were both magnificent. I mean, Carter was man of the match, but I thought it could, it could have easily gone to either of the second rows or to McCaw or to Kano. There were so many performances. But uh, the line-out was one of the big differences in the second half. Whitelock's such a great disruptor. Um, of, of I don't think the All lost one, did they, on their own? I mean, they seemed well, perfect. I don't remember them losing yeah. one on their own throw through on the whole thing. I mean, Does they did they... arguably get a little bit of help from the referee in that first half as well with that forward pass. Yes, well, that was, Wayne well, Bar- that was right by way. Wayne Barnes. Unless yeah. he thought, oh, come on, I owe them one. <laughs> I, owe, I owe them a forward pass. <laughs> My dad was in the same. He said, it didn't look forward to me. No, it was a yard forward <laughs> at least. But it was one of those that looked more forward because Milner's got a past it and was smashed at the same time. Yeah. So you didn't see them... This kind of mysterious, mythical momentum that can make things look less You do wonder what was said at half-time to the Australians because that second-half performance for a while was absolutely stunning. Yeah, well, I guess uh, they sort of worked their way back into it pretty impressively. Clearly, the yellow card helped. They had to come out and play... uh, I guess more expansively. They're secularists, didn't they? They did that. Yeah, but that made that drop goal by Carter because... in both both the semi final and the final, though you know we're looking back now on one of the great teams of all time marching to its destiny, there were moments when they could have lost both of those games, and um, yeah, Carter's come up with some massive plays mm. uh, at uh, 
Which is what great teams do, though, don't they? they always, yeah. you know, and, you, and, and with the All Blacks, you always sense they'll find a way to do that. Yes. You know? And maybe he would have found a way to do that in Cardiff eight years ago if he hadn't been crocked off the pitch. It was interesting to contrast the way that the two Sinbin periods in the semi final and the final. Kano was yellow carded against South Africa, and uh, that was when Carter he dropped the goal then to kind of settle the nerves. But New Zealand. I, don't, I think they came out of that Sinbin period against South Africa, either level or in, even in front, I can't remember. But then this time, Australia really w- uh, went at them when Smith was in the, uh, in the Sinbin, scored 14 points. Although they nearly, I mean, uh, the, the, the seven points were from the driving mall, from the line yeah. out, from the penalty. And then they saw out the 10 minutes really well until Milner Scudder elected not to boot the ball off the pitch when the 10 minutes were up, um, which was. I mean, he had a very tight angle, so you can sort of understand it, but it led to the, the, the Kurandrani. Richie McCaw was also immense. He, here's an incredible statistic. He's played in 32% of All Blacks' victories since 1903. That's an incredible statistics, Alex. What do you th- make of his contribution? Uh, oh well, I mean, it, it speaks for itself, really. The legacy, doesn't it? I mean, what a what a great player! You know, there's no question now after that final, he he will go down as the the greatest captain of the professional era. Um, that said, I mean, I think it's really impossible for me or anyone else to compare him to the likes of Colin Meads and Brian Lahore, just because it, it was completely different then. Um, but I think you know, uh, yeah, he's. He's made a wonderful contribution, but the, the great thing about the All Blacks is that you know they do think ahead. And now, um, much as it's hard to imagine him not being in, in that jersey, you know, previously there was a time when we thought that about who's going to replace Josh Confeld. Um And now, although he didn't have a great tournament, um, Sam Sam Kane is highly regarded by Steve Hansen and others within the All Blacks. You know, he's he's in the frame. And also someone who's incredibly good, incredible potential, particularly on attack, that's uh, Julian Savia's brother, Adi Savia, who didn't even make the squad. Um, he was playing wonderful rugby throughout Super Rugby. So he... I thought it was extraordinary the, the week between the semi-final and the final I mean, it's become such a sort of All Blacks cliche in a way we're about the team we're not about the individuals we're not going to talk about McCall we're not going to talk about Carter and so on and the other three or four who are all playing perhaps their last game but you know it's also extremely, extremely impressive. You know, kind of the the extent to you know, if this if this if this was an England team, we would be all about those individuals. You know, it would be all that game would have been all about Carter. We'd have made it all about Carter. They actively go the other way, and it is all about the collective. And I just think there's something incredibly impressive about that. And sort of, I think as well, this this was an All Blacks team that for the first time it felt like was liked as well as admired. If that makes sense, Do you know what I mean. There's, there's always this sort of undercurrent of kind of we, we respect them, but we don't necessarily love them. And this time around, it felt like everybody just sort of bought into just how good they were and also you know how hate Dan Carter exactly you have to really go out of your way to it is such a fantastic story isn't it who was the literally the water carrier at the last final because of that injury and then there he is Dropping the goal that turns the match this time round. It's it's you couldn't make yeah, that up, could you? Yeah. Yeah. It's not, he hasn't exactly come from being an unknown, has it? This isn't a, a rags to riches story. I mean, we did know Dan Carter was pretty good. Um. No, but but he has had a very you know missed the final four years ago, and by his standards, due, due to injuries and other things, he's had a very flat four years. And for him to come back and not only be great, I mean, I think he in the last four games he surpassed his form in the, on the on the wonderful two thousand and five Lions tour. So. So yeah, if everyone knows knows he's great, but 
you know, I, I, I'll be honest here. Um, I, I wanted him to be starting those games, but I wasn't... Sh- I mean, I knew he'd be good, but I wasn't he sure he'd, again, he'd yeah. reach those heights. He timed that comeback superbly as well. I mean, it was kind of the final uh, Bledisloe Cup game against Australia just before the World Cup where we saw him... That was the first time in a couple of years, as you say, that we'd seen him back to his best because he'd been kind of shunted back to inside centre for a few games before that. I think he was playing, even playing at... You can correct me on this if I'm wrong, but yeah, I think he was even playing at 12 for the Crusaders for a while. Yeah, he, he was. Yeah, he, Todd Blackadder wouldn't start him. He, he, he wasn't on form. Todd Blackadder yeah, was starting him at 12. That's right. You're talking about being the team we all have learned to love as well. And Sonny Bill Williams has rather summed this up with the gesture with the medal and the little lad that ran on to join the lap of honour. My dad actually (laughs) said to me yesterday on the phone, he said, well, he shouldn't have been on the pitch in the first place, should he? (laughs) Who's Sonny Bill Williams or? (laughs) (laughs) At the next World Cup, there's going to be 80,000 people running on the pitch. (laughs) I'll get a free medal out of it. You think it's a dangerous precedent to have set? But at this point, we should do ice a bit too much now. Who's writing this stuff, you know? It's like, like, it flows too far. I mean, he threw it, not only did he the two in like, eight seconds in the build up for the non try, then when after the 18 minutes were up, he still threw a one handed offload when he could have just booted the ball off the pitch. I thought it was a lovely gesture. And then he offloaded his medal. This is. You've got to admire the man. I just wish Brad Barrett could tackle like that security guard. <laughs> it was an impressive tackle. It was a hell of a hit yeah, on that 14 year old kid. Yeah. Yeah. And Sonny Bill Williams has now got a replacement medal. Makes you wonder how many they have in reserve, doesn't it? What the, the, well, you saw the teams coming up to collect their medals with, I mean, the back. I'm pretty sure the bus driver got a got a got a medal. There were about <laughs> 80 people. I mean, the whole medal ceremony took almost as long as the game. So we all agree that the All Blacks were amazing and have won hearts as well as a rugby admiration. What about Australia? Will they be able to look back on this in a few weeks and be? Satisfied? I think so, and I think there was almost, you know, the, of course they were absolutely gutted to lose a final, but there was almost that mood settling even by the, the, the evening of the final that they'd done incredibly. Look at where they were a year ago when Checker came in, and look at where they are now, and he can see a path now forwards to, to start closing the gap with the, with the All Blacks, I think. And he, uh, I think, you know, talking about winning uh, hearts as well as minds, I mean, I think I think they did that too, and I think, you know, Checker was a really refreshing presence, you know, kind of, he, he kept our um, notebooks full during the, uh, during the tournament, and, you know, he um, he's clearly a very impressive guy, the way he's taken that team, which was in complete disarray, you have to remember where they were, and turned them into a, a really formidable team is, impre- you know, hugely impressive. I think everyone's fallen in love with David Pocock as well yeah. during the tournament, I thought he was probably the player of the tournament for me, uh, and then, I don't know if anyone read Andy Bull's article mm. on David Pocock who with his environmental activism Absolutely. and his uh, he's the most guardian for... friendly <laughs> <player of any laughs> time, just still on my life <laughs> <laughs> of course depressingly perhaps the bookies already making New Zealand favourite for the next World Cup which seems a bit ridiculous but can anyone get close enough in the next well, I think four years favourites for every World Cup haven't they just not won all of them but um, it's going to be really difficult I mean it, there'll be an interesting kind of transition period with all these guys Retiring, but they always seem to find sort of endless supply of of quality. For for Australia, uh, it it was an odd game that they were basically totally outplayed, but with a few refereeing decisions going the other way and having made that comeback, they could have won it. Uh, yeah, they've had a fantastic tournament. They were a mixture of great to watch and really pragmatic. Got a lot of tries from from malls as well as the the wonderful passing game they've got. Uh, and yeah, you'd think if Checker stays and they there isn't too much of a diaspora of their players. Um, they they could be really strong for the next 
you know, five, six years. And hopefully Scott Fardy will captain them to glory and get the recognition he finally deserves. <laughs> <laughs> and what are the tier coming up underneath? Is it still going to be an Australia-New Zealand axis here? I'm not sure about that. Um, looking at the... I think that if any team's going to get close to the All Blacks, it's probably going to be South Africa or Argentina. They've both got quite young sides. South Africa have already got the likes of Creel and De Allende and Diago coming through it and uh, Malherba the prop coming through. Argentina also have a lot of exciting young players. They're two locks at uh, Petty and Lavanini are 20 and 21 respectively. Uh, they're going to be playing the All Blacks regularly in the Rugby Championship. They've both got Super uh, Argentina getting their Super Rugby franchise next season That's a, and they're going to play together more. So if anyone's going to get close to the All Blacks, I think it'll be one of those two. Australia's team, I don't see as many youngsters coming through. Mm-hmm. And interesting because, you know, uh, speaking to, again, the South African media, they were very hard on their team for going, you know, going out in a semi-final and losing by two points to the <laughs> greatest rugby team of all time, yet they were still, you know, pretty angry with them. And I think you know, that, that shows, you know, A, what a big sport it is in South Africa and B, you know, how much faith they've got, as you say, in this, in this team that does seem to be coming together. So, Alex, do you, do you hear the rest of the world breathing down your neck then or is it three on the trot for New Zealand? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking three on the trot. Um, it's just, they're, they're so, you know, I, I was lucky enough to um, interview all those members of the Famous Five and, and the lead build-up to the tournament and you just take away from them how committed and this all-consuming passion they have for rugby and you know for the team and sort of the legacy beyond the team and we, 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 we saw that in the final there's so many not only in terms of you know the people who are in position to place replace Richie McCaw but you know Dan Carter's uh, will, be, will be leaving us but then you know but behind him there's any number there's Bowden Barrett who scored that wonderful try to close the tournament there's Lima Sopoanga there's Aaron Cruden there's so many great um, probably great players coming coming through and the other thing that sort of strikes you is uh, as you say sort of tapping into the, the you know the, the all black rhetoric in a way but you know it is it is heartfelt and everything is subservient to that and the other thing is those players you mentioned aren't coming into the side into the team cold the likes of Barrett uh, Cruden and uh, Sam Kane, they've got 25, 30 caps already, and there's kind of that. It's kind of like the West Indian fast bowlers of the 1970s and 80s. There's just this conveyor belt of talent. So, are you saying New Zealand are going to be absolutely useless in about 25 years? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> we can wait that long. I hope. Yeah, we can wait that long. Well, let's move on from gushing about the All Blacks for now. We'll be back after this. Rugby World Cup 2015 podcast on The Guardian, sponsored by Heineken. Proud to open Rugby World Cup 2015. Get closer to the action at heineken.com slash rugby. At the Olympic Stadium on Friday night, South Africa defeated Argentina 24-13 to win the bronze medal match. Andy, uh, you were there. Yes. I guess this will mostly be remembered for Brian Habana missing out on breaking the record for World Cup tries. Pretty agonising. He got so close. Yes, he had a number of opportunities. He dropped a, a pass that probably would have been a try. He almost chased down a kick. Um, and then was hauled off with 15 minutes to go. By, I, I think it showed the total lack of romanticism in South African rugby, that they had the game completely sewn up, and they took off her band. It was the only interesting thing left in that game. Argentina pretty much played the same game as they had against Australia, early mistakes, um, and, and, but, but without the energy to sort of really come back into it. They still sort of kept going for it, but they looked pretty uh, exhausted uh, after even 20 minutes. They were hammered by a, a really, really harsh yellow card, 
early on for uh, the the scrum half. I mean, it was sort of like the referee basically went out to spoil everyone's Christmas. Um, it might have been technically you know, third place, but and then and then with about eight minutes left, South Africa fifteen points ahead got a penalty and kicked for goal. The entire Olympic Stadium, which is when the stadium really came alive, booed. He then hit the post. They got another penalty about thirty seconds later. And he kicked for touch, and from 20 yards from the touchline, missed touch, and hit it straight to the Argentinian winger, which I think was the biggest cheer of the night. And it showed the kind of the pragmatism in South African rugby that it seems to sort of hold them back. They've got these really exciting young young centres in particular, and Pollard at fly half, but they don't seem to trust themselves to, to use them. Um, it's not a great stadium for pitch sports, the Olympics. It was very good for athletics. Mm. But I was sitting behind the post, and you are absolutely miles from the pitch. Um, and, and it sort of decreases the atmosphere, I felt, of the, the games I've been to. West Ham fans beware. West Ham do beware. That is, yeah, or invest in some decent quality binoculars. Do you think they should persist with the uh, third, fourth place match? I mean, uh, it seems like a bit of an afterthought to me. I mean, some people have suggested a plate, a plate tournament instead or other. I mean, because, you know, once you've gone out in the semi final, do you really want to be. Yes, around, uh, it's seldom. I mean, I guess the one memorable one was Argentina taking France to pieces eight years ago, but generally they're yeah, and particularly in a sport like rugby where it's so physically draining that I mean, even Argentina made nine changes, but they still looked absolutely knackered. So it wasn't a great, uh, great game. Um, nice that they got a try. It did. End. It did give us one last look at um, at the Pumas. They've been very impressive on this tournament. Fantastic, yeah. I mean, kind of you know, I suppose in our. Um, Shouldn't let our, our, our gushing over the All Blacks obliterate, you know, kind of um, just how impressive they were. I mean, I, I feel in a way it was a bit, it was a bit sad they left the tournament the way they did in that semi-final, where they didn't quite play the same brand of rugby that they played throughout the tournament and had been so exciting throughout the tournament. But yeah, they're definitely set fair for a, a bright future. So with Habana missing that, I think you know he said afterwards that you know he, in a way he's kind of pleased that Lomu still holds the record jointly for another four years and I guess that's an incentive for Sam Burgess to carry on to the next World Cup he's only 16 tries away from breaking the World Cup record I mean Alex you, you were saying earlier on that there's a real chance for, for Argentina to build on this because of the of the structure in, in Southern Hemisphere rugby yeah I think we're going to see that you know, I'm very excited about the splendidly na- Japan's splendidly named Sunwolves as well um, I think we're going to continue to see them, them build on the, you know, and that, that game as is, is, has been said a million times, it was so. I wasn't there, but I've watched it so many times. Those tries, it was wonderful against the Springboks, and 25 million Japanese people watched them beat Samoa so resoundingly. You know, that really made this feel like a global game, a global Rugby World Cup. So yeah, I, I think those tier teams are going to continue to to prosper. And um, Owen, oh, I, I was pleased that that conference you went to yesterday. That uh, Gosper said they are going to invest more money in Tier yeah. Two because that they need to do that. It's important, and th- there are issues I think in terms of turnaround time. You know, it was really unfair for Japan that they had to go straight into Scotland. Uh, so yeah, I, I think some as, as wonderful a, a cup as it has been, some of these you know there is yeah, there is room for improvement. The, the scheduling and the uh, and some of the disciplinary decisions seem to seem to uh, mitigate against some of the progress they've made on the pitch for some of those tier two teams and yeah it clearly it needs to be an area of of focus for the game as a whole they recognize that it's good to, to make it a truly global sport they need to to invest in these tier two nations but it was it was a very uh, encouraging tournament for them as, as we've said well the Springboks coach um said after the match he will not be resigning some are 
thought he would, didn't they? Um, here's a great quote from him. You have to be crazy in this job. You have to love people. And I love my country. And I do love people. I'm totally crazy. I'm a total nutter. Smacks a little bit of you don't have to be crazy to work here, but it, it helps, that does, doesn't it? That does not show up in his team's rugby. <laughs> no, it's the least <laughs> crazy rugby you could possibly play. <laughs> we have had some fantastic characters across this whole tournament. And he is one of them. Yes, yeah, I mean, his, his, I guess his press conferences are probably more entertaining than the, his tactics, but um, uh, I particularly enjoyed, just from a name point of view, Geronimo della Fuente, the Argentinian centre, to have you know, a player in your squad whose first name basically exemplifies the team's attitude yeah. towards rugby, well, look, just there was, Geronimo. Uh, there was, I think, John Moonlight, was it, played for the USA? Right. Um, Strong, which sounds yeah. like a, he should be a detective in the new series of Twin Peaks. <laughs> And we should mention the Argentinian fans because they've been fantastic throughout and they did make watching on television the atmosphere at the Olympic Stadium look fantastic. Yes, they, de- well, they kept it up. I mean, they almost defies the, the uh, shallow gradient of the seating. Um, and also at, at Twickenham the, uh, in the semi-final against Australia, it was, uh, yeah, it was magnificent and um, all, all the neutrals with Argentina in both of those games say, as I well. They, they, they did seem to swell in numbers, which I guess is a, a kind of symptomatic of the way the, they've... Symptomatic is probably the wrong word, but uh, of the way they've played and the, the entertainment that they've brought. Yeah, I think they've brought a lot of neutrals on the side as yeah, well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's see if we can pull together some of our thoughts about the, the tournament as a whole. World Rugby's Bernard Lapisset says, England 2015, the biggest and best Rugby World Cup ever. A total of 2,477,805 tickets were sold, with a, a little help from Andy Saltzman. <laughs> All the stadiums were 97% full. Um, oh, and the organisers said they wanted to tap into the London 2012 mm. feeling. They, they did, didn't they? I think they absolutely did. I mean, I was one of those that was slightly sceptical beforehand, partly because of the high price of those tickets but I think they there's this strange model where they've got to return 80 million quid back to world rugby as soon as they say they're going to host the tournament which obviously puts pressure on in terms of ticket prices and within that straight jacket I thought we did pretty well in getting kids in in getting families in and um Away from uh, Twickenham and the Millennium Stadium, the atmosphere in all those grounds was fantastic, and they they did the job they said they'd do, which was really to 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 you know put rugby on the back pages, get people excited about rugby, and I think you know England's early exit notwithstanding, they absolutely did that, and it's hard to fault the um, the organisers in any way really, which is an odd thing for me to say because I'm normally looking to pick for wherever can I, I can. Can I fault them in one small Go way? On, please, that is the. Pre-game shows, oh, God, half yeah, an hour of a no, man shouting. Absolutely, Which, I will absolutely. Want, back just you let up on this. atmosphere yeah. build. This is a, not a criticism of rugby; it happens in all sports. Yeah. Just let 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 the crowd make at least some of its own noise, and particularly oh. galling uh, before the final. I mean, you're at a World Cup final, and someone's Need prattling to, away yeah. with five minutes to go. You know, interviewing people, trying to throw over to Trafalgar Square, where there's a fan park, and all the rest of it. And you just think, no, just let the crowd make their own noise. I completely agree with it's that one. Yeah. Like before the England Uruguay match in uh, Manchester, apparently they tried to lead the crowd in a sing along of Wonderwall, which is the single worst song ever written. <laughs> 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 the fan zones um, have something that have really picked up on all sorts of major sporting events. They do play quite an important role in this. Well, I think they do because it means that those who can't necessarily afford to or might not be minded to, to shell out all that money for, for tickets can, you know, go along, uh, taste the atmosphere. Uh, there was a, more than a million people, apparently, at the 15 fan parks across the country, which is not a bad efforts and you know yeah i think it's it's clearly a good thing i mean um it was always going to be a challenge to sort of battle the 
hegemony of Premier League football in this country but I think they sort of did it as best as, as best as could have been expected and actually rugby was being talked about you know as you went around your business at the weekend people were genuinely talking about rugby my mum so. started watching it and she'd been married to my dad who's obsessed with rugby for 45 years and really never really mentioned it and this tournament I think has finally broken yeah. her there's two moments I really noticed apart from the final when that happened and one was obviously the, the, the Japan South Africa moment where it felt like one of those times in which people were hearing about it, looking at it on Twitter and genuinely rushing home to be in front of their TVs to see yeah. this happen. And then the other was the quarterfinal weekend in which kind of every match in its own way was absolutely yeah. brilliant and just gripping television, everyone on free-to-air television. And, you know, you did get that feeling of people, you know, genuine, it was a genuine buzz around it. Yeah, I mean, those quarterfinals, the atmospheres were, were, were magnificent, especially, uh, and, and not even, and even before the quarterfinals, you know, that, that wonderful game between um, France and Ireland, which felt like a knockout game, and the French, French sorry, yes, but, and, and, and all, all the fans, and then the, the following week with Argentina, Ireland, and then even though they'd lost, the Irish fans, you know, still kind of celebrated in the, the, the spirit of rugby and had a good time. But actually, you know, you, you mentioned soccer fans. I had uh, really enjoyed going up to, to Newcastle and St James Park and just meeting soccer fans who, who really got into it, you know, who, who loved the hucker and loved the rugby and, you know, said they'd had a pretty disappointing season, you know, seeing kind of dull, nil-all draws between Newcastle United and Sunderland. And I, I, I really think it was, a, it, it was a showcase for the wonderful game that rugby is. There was some concern at what would happen if, if England didn't get out of the group stages and the other home nations didn't progress. But the, the rugby spoke louder, didn't it? It felt a little bit to me. I mean, obviously, I was in Brazil last summer for the luckily for Brazil for the Football World Cup, and it felt very similar in that kind of England went out so early and were so so sort of woeful, really. And there were so many problems that we got the inquest out of the way so early on that we could then concentrate on the rest of the tournament. And it did did feel quite similar. Obviously, the the mood music and the kind of the depressing crawl through what went wrong continues, but the, the volume of that died down as the tournament went on, and we were able to concentrate on the uh, on the good stuff in front of us. I think we now know what went wrong with England, that Stuart Lancaster clearly went to see a fortune teller before the World Cup, or, or maybe he just had a vision in which a B Barrett scored the tournament-clinching try <laughs> in the final minute, and everything went wrong from there. Do we think only really Scotland of the home nations have anything to be particularly happy with? No, I think it's a bit harsh on Wales, given the, given the hand they were dealt and the injuries they dealt with. I mean, I think, you know, they, they sort of um, did well to get out of that pool, which was obviously a struggle to start with. And then kind of, you know, I, as I say, given, given the hand they were dealt, I think they probably did as well as could be expected. But Scotland were, you know, verging on a revelation. I mean, I think and they can go into the Six Nations feeling quite confident. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. Uh, I think uh, with Wales... Um, I think they've done really well to come out of this tournament as a love team because Warren Ball, the you know the idea of just crashing it up over the gain line time and time again isn't going to shouldn't win you many fans, right. especially on, and because they were dealt so many injuries in the three quarters that was all they could do. So to kind of come through that and still be you know appreciated by the neutral is uh, is I'm going to sound really yeah, patronising here. Aren't they? Yeah. Their crucial try was when they. Chucked it wide and relied on instinct a bit, almost sort of old school Welsh rugbiness. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. what's your favourite tier two moment of the World Cup? Well, I was lucky enough to be at the Japan South Africa game, and obviously that's the standout moment from tier two and tier one, really. But it was not just the fact that they won it, but the way that they won it, as we talked about before, the fact that they chose to go for victory rather than settle for a draw, and it, it and that they won with. You know, two really good tries in the last 15 minutes. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it, it, 
it felt like a moment where the game was sort of expanding before our eyes. There was that uh, great look, I thought, on uh, Mamuka Gagodza's face when he was named uh, Man of the Match against uh, New Zealand. That was uh, for the Georgian number eight. That was fantastic. And also when Romania made the uh, the 15-point comeback to beat Canada, their reaction at the end was just wonderful to see. And I think that the whole tournament's been played with that sense of glee. I mean, not just from the Tier 2 nations, but if you look right to the final, the interview Richie McCaw gave afterwards, sorry to go back to Richie McCaw, but where he was uh, asked, are you going to retire now? And he was saying, I think, caught up in the euphoria of the moment, saying, why would you want to leave uh, something like this? Um, and it's bit just that's something we've seen all the way through the tournament. Oh, and briefly, try of the tournament? Uh, for me, um, I think it's hard to choose between those three tries uh, that Savio ran in against France but the, the the middle one where they all bounced off him and he um, and he went over the line I think for me um, although you know the, the final put up a couple of contenders as well it felt like the All Blacks were having their own personal try of a tournament uh, contest at times Player of the tournament can we see beyond Dan Carter at all? Um, well, yeah, there's so, I think there's so many players in the All Blacks you could go with um, Nihe Milnaskada you know, he, he was fantastic Is Pocock not going to get a look in with you? I mean, no, he's a, he's a great player, and as Andy Ball's article outlined, he's a good man on the side of the Angels, off off the turf. You know, the the perfect guardian rugby player. But I think you know, rugby players they are more complex, and some like to suggest they are. He's, <laughs> he's not the only one. We've had some strange moments as well, and Welsh players seeing ghosts. But does anyone want to nominate their favourite? Weird moment. Uh, Stuart Lancaster's selection policy is the weirdest moment <laughs> <Yeah>. for me. <laughs> that, I mean, that has been as an England fan, not just England getting knocked out, but the way that they sort of—it was a kind of tactical choke uh, and as yeah, gambling everything on on caution. And then latterly, uh, as a fan of club rugby as well, the salary cap schmozzle. Mm. Uh, it's uh, as the global game has been shown in its best ever light. The uh, it's been a really pretty bleak time for. English and also we've had the usual kind of you know rush to find scapegoats, so it's yeah. all been pinned on Burgess when clearly there are far wider systemic issues at, at play. And you know that, that you know it wasn't so much a weird moment, but the most sort of dislocating moment was, was sort of going back to Pennyhill Park with the tournament, you know, still very much getting into full <laughs> swing, and they're taking down all the bunting yeah. and preparing it to to, to welcome South in the South Africans. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed well, Jamie I'm, Cudmore sneaking into a French huddle as well. Um, yeah, France Canada game. That was good. Well, we're not going to end on a down because we're going to end with our favourite moments with the World Cup champions, New Zealand. Hard to pick just one thing, I guess. But Owen, what would you pick? I think when the final whistle blew um, on that final, you just saw how much it meant to that group of players, you know. And as we said earlier, you almost couldn't write the Hollywood script for for McCaw and Carter to to go out on that kind of performance and on that kind of stage. Andy. Well, uh, in a sort of knockout stage and a tournament sort of laced with tries, I think it was as many tries in the, the seven live knockout games as there were in the two previous World Cups and the equivalent stages. Uh, Carter's uh, two drop goals, particularly the one in the final, just just a, a moment of amazing quality in the mayhem of a really tense final. Dan? Uh, I don't think you could... I mean, there have been so many moments of brilliance from the All Blacks, I don't think you can pick one, but my favourite moment was uh, Dan Carter kicking, uh, you know... It's been done before a left-footed fly half kicking the final points with his right boot. But Dan Carter taking that final conversion with his right foot just because it was the one thing he'd never been able to, he'd never done before. And Alex? Yeah, just three brilliant knockout games, three brilliant All Blacks wins and just fantastic team tries that showed the range of skills that they have. 
And if there's a bigger smile in world sport, <laughs> it's got to be on your face at this moment. Well, that's all for this final episode of our Rugby World Cup 2015 podcast. Thanks to our panel, Andy Zaltzman, Dan Lucas, Owen Gibson and Alexander Bisley, and to all our panellists over the course of the World Cup. A big thank you also to you for being with us over the last six weeks. It's been brilliant. Don't forget to keep up to date with all things rugby at theguardian.com slash sport. I'm Sandy Wall. The producers are Peter Sale and Ben Green. Thanks for listening and goodbye. This podcast is sponsored by Heineken. Proud to open Rugby World Cup 2015. Get closer to the action at heineken.com slash rugby.